So again, welcome to this workshop. Uh, before we move into the instructions, I'll say just a little bit about, in a way, where I'm coming from, because some of you might be wondering, what is that accent? And where? So as Connie said, I'm from New Zealand, but I'm originally from Britain, which may be why you're hearing a bit of a hybrid accent. And in New Zealand, where I grew up, before anybody speaks in public, it's traditional to say, where are you from? Where are you coming from? Not only metaphorically, but also poetically in terms of who are your people? What's your mountain and what's your river? So where are you from geographically? Where do you feel a sense of affinity? Who are your ancestors and so on? So that it can help people to connect. And that form is called a pepeha. And even white people in New Zealand will offer their pepeha. So in those terms, my extended family are from the north of England. I grew up in different parts of the UK and we emigrated to New Zealand when I was 10. So I have dual British New Zealand nationality. I lived in the US at IMS for seven years on staff at the Insight Meditation Society. And I think of that place as my spiritual home. My main teachers are Joseph Goldstein and Gil Fronsdahl from the West Coast. So that's in a way my spiritual lineage. My mountain is Mount Manaya in New Zealand, which is in a region where I grew up and is a very powerful kind of mountain. And my river, metaphorically, is the Pacific Ocean because that connects Australia, New Zealand, at least the west coast of the U.S., which are three places I teach a lot. I don't have a home base, so I just go wherever I'm invited to teach. I've been living out of my suitcase for the last seven years. I don't think there's a Maori equivalent for that, but you could say sometimes they talk about um, their walker, their canoe. So my suitcase is my canoe that takes me to these different parts of the world to teach, mostly Australia, New Zealand, the U.S., so that's just a little bit of a background about where I'm coming from in that form. And then in some communities, where am I coming from in terms of my social location? So I could say that I am white, female, heterosexual. In terms of class, that's confused. I live completely on Dana, so I don't have any fixed income. I do have an education, but I'm not from a wealthy background. So it's just interesting to see and feel how these different aspects of who we are overlap and merge, and perhaps there's some areas that we can connect in all of that. So that's a little bit about where I'm from, and I'd love to hear from some of you at some point. We're a big group, so unfortunately right now we don't have time, but... I'm happy to meet some of you in the individual meetings and maybe informally on either side of the day of practice. Okay. So the theme of this workshop is befriending the mind. And implicit in that title is a sense that the mind is not always our friend. So I wanted to check, is that true for people? Does anybody have a sense that, oh, yeah, I'm always at ease and happy with my mind? <laughs> oh, a lot of laughter. So maybe not so much, at times at least. 
And one of the reasons I chose this theme, because in many of the communities that I teach around the world, there's this common challenge of how do we relate skillfully to our minds. And even though we're meditators, I started to realize that the standard instructions that we get in meditation settings don't often support us to work skillfully with the mind. So the standard instructions are very similar to what I gave before. Sit down, pay attention to the breath. When the mind wanders, come back to the breath. Is that how you mostly have been taught? And we, if we do a lot of beginner's workshops and short retreats, that tends to be what we hear over and over and over again. And so then the idea becomes, well, mindfulness is the breath. Anything that's not the breath is not meditation. And so we don't learn how to relate skillfully to our minds, even though I'm guessing when you are practicing mindfulness of breathing, it'd be interesting what proportion of your time is actually connected with the breath when you're doing mindfulness of breathing. If you're like me, it's probably not 100%. (laughs) So even calling it mindfulness of breathing is a kind of a setup. We should call it mindfulness of breathing and thinking. That will be much more accurate for most people. So thinking, as I said in the instructions, is a natural and normal part of the experience. But even experienced meditators can think that it's wrong and bad. And I hear people say things like, oh, I can't meditate because my mind just doesn't stop thinking. Well, it's not about trying to stop thinking. The eyes see, the ears hear, the mind thinks. In Buddhist teaching, the mind is a sense organ. And so getting into a battle and trying to stop that is really just a recipe for fueling aversion, which, as many of you know, is one of the hindrances. The true purpose of mindfulness is to train us to be present with every aspect of our experience, no matter what it is. So we start with the body and the breath so that we can stabilize the mindfulness. And then when the mindfulness is more steady, we can open up the field of awareness to include emotions, to include the mind, to include all forms of mental activity, So mindfulness of breathing is really just the foundation practice that allows us to then go deeper into more and more aspects of our experience. And that's what we'll be doing gradually over the course of this weekend. To keep it simple and straightforward, I like to classify our experience into three main arenas. The body, which is all physical sensations, what I call the heart, which is emotions, moods, and then the mind, any other kind of mental activity, thinking, images, hearing conversations, memories, and so on. So we have those three main arenas of experience that we can pay attention to. And throughout the day in daily life, it can be really helpful as often as you remember just to stop and check. What's happening in the body right now? So even as you hear this, take a moment, get a snapshot of the body. See if you can connect with what's predominant in your physical experience right now. Just to notice. 
And then what's happening in the heart mind? So any thoughts, emotions, moods, mind states? Just to notice any predominant mental activity. And then the last question is really key. How am I relating to that experience in the body, heart, mind? Or what's the attitude in the mind to my experience right now? Is there any sense of resistance or aversion? I wish I wasn't so sleepy or I should be more alert or when is she going to get to the point or you know whatever it might be. So one common response is resistance or not wanting. Another common response is wanting, leaning forward. Yes, yes, I've got to write that down. I must remember that. Or indifference, neutrality, not really tuning in. So disconnecting in some way. So leaning towards, pushing away, spacing out or not knowing. Those are three very common ways that we relate to our experience. So being able to recognize that is very key. So even though this weekend is about befriending the mind, we want to start with befriending the body because the body is a very powerful resource that helps us in this whole process because generally the body has a little bit more stability than the mind, which lightning fast for most people, whereas the sensations in the body are usually a bit more tangible They move a little slower. They help us to really build that foundation of mindfulness. And over the course of this weekend, I'm going to be using, developing a model that I first heard of from Gil Fransdahl, where he talks about our experiences being like a wheel. So if you think of a wheel, at the center of the wheel, the hub of the wheel, is the body and the breath. And then as we move out from that basic physical experience, we have the sense contacts, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, physical sensations, and then mental activity. So in any moment of experience, boom, 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 there's just one of those six things happening. A sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, a thought. Those six things are happening automatically all the time. So then we move further out from the hub and we have this recognition of those sense contacts as being pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. That's built into our nervous system. It's a part of the reptilian mind that developed very early on. Should I move towards it? Should I run away from it? Can I just space out and not worry about it? Those three basic reactions coming out from the center of the wheel. Then we get into the terrain of all other kinds of mental activity, which if there's no mindfulness, very easily moves into what in the Buddhist teaching is called proliferation. Any of you familiar with that term, papancha? I'm guessing you're familiar with the experience, even if you haven't named it. So it's when the mind gets fixated, obsessed, caught, hooked, reactive to something, and just keeps spinning round and round and round, bringing in more and more reactions, getting ourselves hooked. So that's the outer rim of the wheel. And in the model of the wheel, if we're caught on the outer rim, we go for these big 
rides and it's very uncomfortable. So right there, there can be an invitation if you recognize that you're spinning out to come back to the hub of the wheel. See if you can disengage from the mind and just come back to right here, right now, this body, this moment. Every micro moment that we can come home to the body, we're perforating that tendency to proliferate and getting just a little bit more stability. So this movement from the hub of the wheel to the rim of proliferation for many of us seems to happen very quickly. So over the course of this weekend, we're going to be breaking down how that process happens. Because the Buddha was really a master of deconstruction. He was a master at showing us the mechanism of the mind so that when we can understand each component part, we have less chance of just that automatic knee-jerk, sight, sound, smell, touch, massive reaction. So we're going to be slowing that down, seeing how it happens, understanding at any point in that movement how to free ourselves from that habitual tendency to react. And we're going to be alternating sitting and walking and again using the body as this anchor in the sitting posture just to say a little bit about sitting. Generally, we want to have a stable, balanced base. So if you're sitting on the floor, we're making a kind of tripod and it's really helpful to have the hips higher than the knees so that there's a natural blood flow and the weight can be distributed evenly. If we sit flat on the floor, you can see for me, I don't have a lot of flexibility in my hips. Both my knees are now flapping like wings. I know from experience all the weight is in my ankles and within about 10 minutes both my feet will fall asleep, the bell will ring and I'll fall over when I try to stand. <laughs> so very helpful to have the hips higher than the knees and now you can see both my knees are in contact with the ground, sitting bones are supported, I have the even distribution of the weight very easily. Even with that, for some reason this knee is not quite as flexible so sometimes I'll add a little padding and we're fortunate to have all of those props that we can use this weekend. And then try to have the spine upright. Notice the head. Most of us are used to being on computers or driving so we have a tendency. I have a tendency to be like this. So I have to consciously keep bringing awareness to my back body and to the placement of the head. So a yoga teacher told me recently, have the nose in alignment with the sternum. And I realize how often I'm sitting like this. So just play with that without getting stiff or tight, but see, can there be a more upright posture? Because as I said in the beginning instructions, we're looking for this balance between uprightness and ease, alertness and comfort. If you're sitting in a chair, again, it's really helpful to have that sense of balance. So we usually recommend when you're formally sitting to have both feet on the floor. If your legs are short, you might need cushions under your feet. If you're tall, you might need cushions under your sitting bones. Because again, we want that natural slope from the hips down to the knees. 
So if you're tall, you might find yourself sitting like this. It'd be helpful to have maybe a stack of cushions under your sitting bones. Likewise, if you're short and your legs are swinging, then find yourself some support for the feet. If it's possible, we recommend not leaning against a back support so that, because there's that tendency, oh, it's just so good to get into a more slumped posture. And also, if you're using a back support all the time, you don't actually develop the muscles that will come to be able to hold you upright with more ease. So they're just general recommendations about posture. And for those of you who might be more new to this, there is not one magic posture that you will find and then stay there discomfort-free for the rest of the weekend. (laughs) Part of the skill, the art of the meditation is working skillfully with discomfort. And I'm deliberately not using the word pain because the word pain is very loaded. So the invitation is to gently expand our comfort zones. So you're sitting for a while. At some point, perhaps you notice discomfort in the knee. You take a little moment or two just to notice. Oh, aching, tightness, coolness, burning, pulsing, itching, whatever it might be. And when you find yourself going into aching, 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 ring the bell, aching, that's enough. Thank you. Literally or metaphorically, you might just bow, acknowledge that, and then slowly, mindfully change posture. The invitation is to not move the nanosecond you feel discomfort, because as probably many of you know, the more we move, the more we want to move. And we just end up sitting, wriggling, wrestling, and so on, restless. So we're finding a balance, gradually expanding the comfort zones, gradually training ourselves to be able to be with a slightly wider range of our experience. Having said that, at any point, if you're sleepy or if the discomfort is intense, feel free to stand. Standing meditation is a very powerful way of raising the energy in the body, um, relieving discomfort, and then you can sit back down again whenever you need to. Likewise, you can shift from a chair to the floor, and as I say, we'll be also doing walking meditation. With the walking meditation, this is a very powerful opportunity to really train in this embodied awareness. So we start by bringing awareness to the soles of the feet in contact with the ground as we walk. Generally speaking, we choose a single track and just walk up and down that track slowly and mindfully rather than going for a walk. Because if we go for a walk, it's so easy. Oh, check out that garden. Oh, there's their yoga timetable. Oh, it'd be great to do that class. And oh, oh, oh. and we just are sort of wandering. So we have the relative discipline of a track. And then it's easier to see when you recognize that you've got lost or distracted. I suggest physically stopping in place and just taking a moment to acknowledge, oh, thinking about yoga classes, release, not necessary now, and then slowly, mindfully continue the walking. If you get bored, see if you can get interested in boredom. 
How do you know that you're bored? What are the sensations in the body? What are the symptoms in the mind? Get curious about your experience and then the boredom can be relieved. So those are just the very basic instructions for sitting, walking, standing. I'd like to move into a session of uh, walking meditation now just for about uh, 15 minutes or so. And all of this continuity of mindfulness is key. So even as you transition now from sitting to standing, notice how you do it. How do you make, do you shift to the left? Does your right foot come out first? Do you lean forward? Do you lean back? Do you push off from your chair? How are you making that transition? Slowly, mindfully now, just inviting you to begin to walk. And I'll ring a bell about two, three minutes before we'll start again in here. Okay, enjoy your walking. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.